0: more than just research it's about community too i see you in the community what's going on this weekend the last time we met we talked to this well last time i talked to the people from downtown what was the last movie you went to miguel what's new miguel what's new in the community have you gotten any feedback about the twitter feed first of all for the people who contact us on twitter about a certain research can you tell me more? Well, depends who you know. Hi, welcome you to another you know, episode the of the Community Board Why podcast with your host, Miguel Valdez. And today, to I'm here with Professor and Director of the Women's Health Research Center at Mayo Clinic, Dr. Virginia Miller. Hi, Virginia.
1: Hi there, Miguel. Thanks for having me
0: today. No, I'm honored to have you here. How's your summer going?
1: It's wonderful. Minnesota is the place to be in the summer.
0: Oh, last weekend it was beautiful. I know. Are you Minnesota?
1: No, I was actually born. Minnesota-born? No, I was actually born in Pittsburgh, and I've lived in several places around the country. But I've been here in Minnesota and Rochester since
0: 1983. 1983, okay. Long time. So you've seen the change that is going on here since 1983. Is the weather in in Pittsburgh similar to this part of the Midwest?
1: Um, the summers can be similar. They get a little hotter there, and the winters are milder than they are in Rochester. And not as longer. As no, they're not as long. They have a beautiful spring and a long fall. Okay. Not like yeah. here, my where we have a long winter and a My short favorite, <laughs> my favorite
0: uh, time or month, I would say, is September. September, I think, is so nice. Mm-hmm. Nice and good weather. Water you can still get in the in the river. Uh, I came here on September 26. I remember to Minnesota and and I was like, oh, this is so beautiful. And everybody said, just just, just wait a week, <laughs> <laughs> one week, and all the trees were uh, not not leaves. But um, I love this time of the year. Virginia. Uh, on Friday, I was uh, fortunate to be. In one of your presentations where you were talking about uh, pretty much uh, sex be- versus gender mm-hmm. and how the, how we should consider when uh, people is uh, prescribed or use prescription Can you mention a little bit what oh, sure. was your sure. presentation sure. Yeah. about
1: Yeah so um, as director of the women's Health Research Center it's really important that we, understand the terms that we're using when we talk about, when we talk about our patients, and um, whether we're talking about biology or how individuals interact with society and with us as uh, physicians or researchers. So there's a lot of news about sex and gender, and a lot of times the two terms are used interchangeably, and they are not the same thing. So it's really important that we start off with the basic definitions of what sex and gender are.
0: So everybody's born with sex and gender, or, or everybody's born with sex?
1: Everybody's born with sex. Okay. Sex is a biological variable, which is dictated by two chromosomes in your cells, and they're called the sex chromosomes. Women have two chromosomes, which are called X chromosomes, and men have a chromosome that's called that's one X and one Y. This is the fundamental genetic difference between... Individuals in the population. Now, and is
0: that found through the whole animal kingdom? Uh,
1: there are some variations in animals as you go to different kinds of, uh, of frogs and turtles and things like that. But okay. for when we're talking about mammals, we're talking about male and female, dictated by the chromosomes. Now, there can be variants in these chromosomes, but they represent a very small portion of the population, and um, are, are very rare. So when we talk about sex for the general population, we're primarily talking about dichotomizing individuals by their chromosomes X and XX and XY. Mm-hmm. Now, these chromosomes dictate how the body develops. And every cell of your body that you would test would have an XX or an XY chromosome. So we say every cell in the human body has a sex. Okay.
0: Every cell. Yeah, wow.
1: yeah, every cell. <clears throat> and these cells direct the development of the reproductive organs, which produce hormones which affect sexual development, your development of your sexual organs and the ability to reproduce. Sex is biological. Okay? You can't get away from it. You can't can't pretend it's not there. You can't raise your child without a sex because it's determined by the genes and the chromosomes. Gender, on the other hand, is a psychosocial construct. The word gender was actually first brought into the um, vocabulary through linguistics. And you're, you speak Spanish, mm-hmm. right? And you know that some of the articles for Spanish, well, when I took, took Spanish years ago in high school, we had to learn the ma- masculine and feminine Adjectives that went with yep. these words—that was very, you know, you had to memorize them. Why was a cat el gato, masculine and the pen "la pluma" feminine? Yeah. I don't know, but that's gato, the way. The, y- yeah, yeah. So that's the way the uh, "chico chica." You mm-hmm. know, that's the way the language was set up in the '80s. Those and
0: that's in gender.
1: That's the word gender. They talk okay. about gender in the language in the '80s. Those words got. Put into sort of um, sexual psychosocial context, and now they're used to define how an individual relates to the environment. So, when we talk about the psychosocial construct, there's really three components to it it's um, gender norms, is how what is expected by certain sexes in certain cultures or environment, sexual identity, or, gen- excuse me, gender identity, how the individual interacts or considers himself, him or herself, interacting with the environment, and then gendered interactions, how we might be interacting as a male or a female. Now, the difficulty with gender is that you it's fluid, okay, so certain behaviors are going to change depending on what, what culture you're in, and that's usually defined by feminine or masculine, okay, but that may change on the environment, the culture, or the actual situation in terms of what behaviors may be called or considered masculine or feminine. Mm-hmm. So it's a sliding scale, it's a variable. And we really don't have a good way to measure it. So when we talk about
0: Do have a standardized gender. St- yeah,
1: right. You know, you can't say well you can't take a cell out and say what's its gender, but you can take a cell out and look at the chromosomes and say it's a sex, okay, define the sex. But just because we can't measure it and it's fluid doesn't mean that it isn't important to people's health. And we can measure components of gender, okay, which help a physician or a scientist. Under- when you
0: say compounds for the people who's listening. Yeah, yeah, I'm well, going oh, to, let, okay, let, let,
1: me, let me list some of those, what they might be. You're getting ahead of me. <laughs> um, maybe I'm behind you. <laughs> um <clears throat> So why do we care about these things? We care about them because they can influence the biology. What can influence the biology? Well, your um, uh, lifestyle, whether you smoke, whether you exercise, the kinds of food you eat. Now, whether you smoke or exercise or the kinds of food you eat are going to be influenced by your culture, whether you grew up in a Germanic home like I did, or more of a Latino-Hispanic home, as you did. There are certain mm-hmm. foods and cultures and habits that influence what we eat and our diet and our activity level and so on. Um, what's your schooling? Okay, what's your education? What's your economic uh, status, which may dictate your availability to obtain certain levels of education or your ability to get certain jobs? and with certain jobs come exposures to environmental pathogens or toxins which could influence your health or where you live where you live in a rural area is going to affect how you interact with others or how you see yourself or if you grew up in the inner city okay all these factors are components of gender and we can measure these things so when we talk about factors which influence health and disease and outcomes because in the medical community that's what we're about trying to keep people healthy and helping them regain their health if they become ill we can measure these components and see how they influence the biology okay so some of these factors like if you're exposed to some environmental toxins smoking for example or alcohol or um, pesticides in the environment or Uh, components in plastics, can affect your genes and make permanent changes in these, which would either increase your predisposition to disease or your ability to respond to some treatment. Those are called epigenetic uh, changes. So we need to keep in mind these cultural things, okay, which make up gender. But we have to keep in mind when we are seeing a patient or a research, someone's volunteered for a research project, as I see them because I'm not a physician, I'm a, I'm a researcher, what can influence how they're going to respond to a certain treatment, and whether they're going to be compliant to the treatment if it's um, if presented to them, or how their disease presents. So some of these environmental and cultural factors are going to affect um, how rapid a person um, may develop a disease. And the biology factors that we can also measure, in addition to sex, is your age, okay, your race, um, whether or not you're reproductively uh, competent or not, which means for a woman, whether she's premenopausal or has passed menopause, how many babies she's had, is not gonna influence her health? These are biological things we can measure as well. So the environment is going to, what they say, rights on the body, But to try to measure gender is not specific. Let's measure the things that are specific that are going to influence the biological outcomes. And the good news is that when you go to the physician, lots of times they'll give you a form to fill out where you actually put those things in. You put in what your sex is, your biological sex. You put in your age. You put in your race. Then they start asking you questions relative to education Uh, how much do you smoke, how much do you drink, what kind of sleep you get, what are the stresses in your life, what's your education. We are already measuring some of these things, Mm -hmm. which influence how we would interact as individuals in either a research or a a medical setting.
0: Those intake forms, those are kind of across the board? Mm,
1: No. (laughs) I think it would be, there are many questions that are standard, okay. Um, But I think that to, um, uh, that there could be an effort to make these more uniform, to capture those variables which we know influence health and disease, okay. For example, if we talk about what a woman fills out, typically those forms ask when you started your period, um, how many children you had. Um, when you reach menopause. Now, those are important questions, but when we get back to how many children did you have, one of the key things that we're finding out is whether or not a woman had a difficult pregnancy. For example, um, uh, gestational diabetes, where she can't regulate her blood sugar during pregnancy, or high blood pressure during pregnancy, called uh, uh, gestational hypertension or preeclampsia, And she can have that, it influences the baby's health, but it influences mom's health during the pregnancy. But now we know that those conditions will affect her health after, years after she's had the baby. Okay, as she's entered menopause, the very fact that she's had these conditions while she was pregnant increases her risk for, for example, cardiovascular disease, increases her risk for developing type two diabetes, increases her risk for cognitive impairment um, or uh, uh, towards dementia. So those things aren't routinely captured on intake forms for women, but they should be.
0: Um, and the work that you presented and the, you mentioned the when you guys were you trying in the lab with the male mouse and Female mouse. When you try uh, different
1: um, procedures, uh huh. Procedures yeah. how
0: how affect affects different. Okay, and so how do, how do you see that in the field?
1: Yeah, so traditionally, most of the experimental data on experiments were conducted on male animals and male humans. And historically. Historically, okay? And the good thing is that this is now being beginning to change because we're finding out that because we have these ge- biological differences between men and males and females with the chromosomes and the hormones, that the body doesn't respond the same to certain um, provocations. Um, but traditionally, what was found on the male was applied to the female. So what has this resulted in? Well, it's resulted in one, that a lot of drugs were withdrawn from the market, pharmaceuticals, because they had worse um, uh, side effects in women than men. Um, That women may not be recognized for certain symptoms, and the classic example of that is that women don't present the same for heart attacks as men. typically uh, typically that what was known was that men would have the shooting pain down the arm and shortness of breath and tightness in the chest. Women didn't present that way and many times they were turned away as having the flu or being anxious or whatever when really in fact they were having a heart attack. So it's important that we recognize the physiology differences between men and women and be able to study those factors which contribute to both health and disease in both men and women in order to give um, the best care. And the catchword in medicine right now is individualized care or personalized medicine. And you can't get more personal than whether somebody's a man or a woman in any kind of interaction that you have. So um, when we extend our experimental toolbox to include both male and female animals, men and women volunteers, or men and women patients, we're going to end up with more knowledge that's going to be able to really narrow um, the side effects and maybe increase compliance to a particular drug. If you're not having a side effect, you're more likely to, to take it. If you feel horrible after you take it, you're not going to bother right Mm -hmm. and improve the the outcomes of many of the procedures and when you look in the literature now also there are several um, mandates in congress that have affected research one came in 1993 which was a requirement that all studies funded by the government through the national institutes of health or nih um, include women in the studies okay that's well and good and many studies included women, but then when you go to look at the results, they're all collapsed together. Oh, so the you The, stu- breakdown, <laughs> the breakdown is not there. So the study report: yes, we included thirty percent women, we included fifty percent women, and then they would show you all the the care, clinical characteristics for the whole population. That's not very informative, because there can be differences in terms of the age at which women present compared to men. And that's true with hypertension. Men will present with hypertension way earlier, much younger age than women. Um, Their body, the size of their bodies may be uh, uh, not the same. Um, The duration that they've had the disease or how severe it is may not be the same. But when you put it together, you average it out. And you you may have a treatment that on the average didn't affect either one. Okay, But if you separated it by males and females, you would see, hmm, it didn't work in females, but it worked really well in males. So why shouldn't we use it that way? And a good example, <clears throat> or one example, of changes, um, effects of a medication is a typical one many people in the audience may know about is aspirin. Typically, it was shown that aspirin reduced the risk of a heart attack. But on closer examination, it reduced the risk of a heart attack in men, but not women. But it reduced the risk of stroke in women and not men. Mm. So what's the result of that? The result, well, After of how many years? They yeah, yeah, out yeah, out? yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I said it was very simple. If we would have split the data out by men and women, they had the data, just analyze it separately. That would have been informed many years earlier. Same with the drug Ambion for that was used for sleep. This is the only um, drug which is approved by the Food and Drug Administration that has separate dosing requirements for men and women because women metabolize drugs differently, and the d- standard dose was like too much for a woman, and she was having side effects and sleepiness during the day and so on. Um, and we know that too from makes sense with the recommendations for blood alcohol levels. Women don't metabolize alcohol the same as men, and so those levels that would you're saying, you know, you can only drive after half a drink for a woman and one drink for a man. It it matters because how your body metabolizes those drugs. So some of it's common sense, and you and I know it, and how we act, right? Yeah. And but to translate that actually into medical practice has sometimes been a hard sell, or in the scientific community for sure. Yeah, you know. Uh, surprisingly.
0: Yeah. Um, what other um, work are you guys doing at the Women's Health Research Center?
1: Oh, our, our Women's Health Research Center um, approaches uh, women across their lifespan. And we try to take a holistic approach of it. We're not just studying one particular disease, but we really like to incorporate individuals from every department and specialty in terms of studies that would specifically look at women as research subjects or particular issues that would uh, affect their health, both in the teenage years through the reproductive years and then after menopause into aging. So we have studies that examine um, investigators as part of our group that examine um, uh, injuries to the knee in young women that are athletes because Is that common? ACL injuries for women that play soccer and sports are very common and if these young women have one of these ACL um, uh, ruptures it puts them at risk for m- more as they age and also for arthritis in their knees so it's really important that we understand why those uh, injuries occur and how we can train individuals to prevent them we talk. We have indiv- individuals that are investigating new ways to monitor um, uh, the breast other than mammography for more sensitive measures. We have studies, uh, investigators that are looking at new ways to detect uh, uterine cancer endometrial cancer with uh, non-invasive tests that can be used at home. Um, we have. People studying drug reactions in men and women. And um, let's see, what else do we have in our portfolio? This is a personal
0: question. Yeah, yeah. Do so you those guys are just to name a few. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you guys do some on uh, postpartum depression?
1: Um, have
0: you guys done? Or um, are you aware?
1: I am uh, I don't. I don't know of any investigators in our group who are doing that, but I do know that when the psychiatry department, there's some um, interesting work going on of how to treat depression in women that also seems to be um, affecting and reducing their menopausal symptoms of hot flashes. So there's many relationships in women of things going on in the brain between symptoms of menopause, depression, and sleep. And we're just now beginning to sort those out with some very interesting studies.
0: And in depression also, uh, it shows different in men and yes. women? Yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: it, it, depression is more um, uh, prevalent in women, but in men it, it can't be treated as, as easily, and sometimes... Uh, When you look at suicide risk, women may threaten suicide, men carry it out. So uh, uh, that's serious uh, societal consequences to understanding um, depression and brain related diseases, including um, age related cognitive impairment or decline.
0: I remember also during your presentation that you mentioned that you have an event coming up.
1: Yes, we have uh, a celebration of women's health research here at Mayo. It's the first one we've had, and we're very excited about it because we're bringing in a keynote speaker from the National Institutes of Health, the Office of Research on Women's Health, uh, Dr. Sharon Hunter, Um, and she's going to be talking about the importance of including sex as a biological variable in research. And um, we're highlighting some of our young investigators, investigators who are looking at um, using the genome, which are called gene-wide association studies, to look at drug activities as related to depression and um, uh, ovarian function in, well, in ovar- depression in men compared to women, because many of the gene association studies haven't been separated or even included the X and Y chromosomes, and that's very exciting. We have um, investigators reporting on um, brain imaging for, as, uh, and progression of Alzheimer's disease and dementia in women relative to whether or not they take menopausal hormone treatment, and individuals talking about, uh, another investigator talking about um, spontaneous coronary dissection, which is the coronary arteries in young women just rupture. And previously it was not considered a type of heart attack, but now we know it's more prevalent in women and it puts them at serious risk um, for future events. And if, the, if it's the coronary artery ruptures and it's not treated, uh, it's, it's very serious. It can be um, a, you know, a fatal condition. But we're understanding early diagnosis, how to treat it, and so we have investigators doing that. And then we have some very interesting uh, work also of, of individuals who are working in the communities, going out um, to programs. One program is called the Faith Program, where one of our young cardiologists is going out to churches in the Dr. local area. Yeah, La, yeah, with mm-hmm. Princess Brewer, going out to churches in the area and engaging the community. Um, with uh, electronic devices and educational materials to um, help the communities at large develop their own programs to improve the health of their neighbors and members of their Community congregation. Community engagement yeah, research? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm,
0: yeah. How do you get involved? How do you, <laughs> you feel that goal when you were to school to go into the psychology field?
1: Well, I mean, physiology, it yeah. was, well... Um, <laughs> You know, you have different people influence your life. And I had a high school biology teacher who was very engaging. And uh, I got hooked on biology. And so I was a biology major in undergraduate school. And I was going to be a high school biology teacher. Well, I came through school at the time when many the... Uh,
0: and back then, well, how, we, how research looked like? Well, it was let I let that's cho- no, uh,
1: no, it's coming, it's coming. <laughs> I, um, th- uh, uh, I couldn't get a job in teaching, okay, because there's many World War II baby boomers just like myself, all looking for teaching jobs. I couldn't get one. So I had a professor in undergraduate school who suggested I go to graduate school. So I ended up in graduate school. And at that time, I was the only woman in my class that was in graduate school. And I was studying temperature regulation at the time that people were going into space with the idea of coming up with a a hormone or substance that you could inject into astronauts that would put them in the state of hibernation while they traveled to Mars. It sounds crazy, right? 2001 Space Odyssey in reality. But that's what we were studying. And... At that time, I really felt as a woman, a, you know, young woman in science, a budding scientist, eager to succeed and prove myself that I was as good as my male colleagues. I wa- I actually actively avoided anything related to women, because uh, it. must to fit in. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, and um, most all my professors were men, all my classmates were men.
0: Participants probably were all
1: well, men. Yeah, well, we were working with animals at that time, okay. and we didn't really pay attention to um, whether they were males or females. We would record them. I work with woodchucks, and I are <laughs> marmots, woodchucks, um, and we didn't really pay attention to the sex. When looking back, I I should have, but I didn't. Um, uh, so, it wasn't really until I came to Mayo Clinic that I got involved in uh, studying estrogen on the vascular system. And that was right at the time when there was a lot of interest. Can
0: you mention, just for everybody who's guess, listening, how estrogen works in your body?
1: Okay, Estrogen is considered a sex hormone, and there it's a steroid hormone, and it's a primary sex steroid in women. Testosterone is the primary sex hormone in men. It's responsible for the development of the reproductive organs and the secondary sex characteristics. But the interesting thing that the audience may not know: both men and women have both hormones. Okay. Okay. But in different concentrations. So right and now. And we need it both. Uh, yes. Yeah. Right. For example, estrogen um, is important for bone formation, both in men and women. Okay, Okay? So that's something that people don't recognize. And we need to understand how these hormones act on the bone, on the intestinal system, on the skin, and the muscles, and the brain, and the heart, all parts. So we were interested in how estrogen affected cells which lined the blood vessels. And at that time, there was the first woman appointed as director of the National Institutes of Health, Bernadine Healy.
0: What year were we talking?
1: That was 1991. Okay. Shortly thereafter, in 1993, is when the uh, dictate from Congress came out to include women in clinical trials. And there was a... So before
0: it was no... uh,
1: There was no requirement for that to happen. Wow. Okay. So um, at that time, they put out a request for research applications to study estrogen and coronary arteries. And... Uh, I was joined by several of my colleagues here at Mayo. We put in an application, and we were successful. And then one thing just led to the other. So what started out as a basic interest in the effects of the hormones on the blood vessels suddenly escalated into a women-specific program. I became the director of the Office of Women's Health here at Mayo in 2000. And we, as part of that office, was to improve the education about women's health to women in general, but also to improve the research portfolio. So I got involved with bringing a um, clinical study of hormones to Mayo. We became one of the sites for a study called the KEEPS, the Kronos Early Estrogen Prevention Study. And from there, just one thing led to another, and here I am. I'm sure that this sort of accidental career path that I had, is not atypical of other people who get into areas, not necessarily, I didn't start out to say, I'm gonna study women's health, Mm-mm, not that way at all. But just circumstances have um, put me along this path. And, you know, I, I truly believe that each of us has a purpose in life that God gives us. And sometimes it takes us longer to get to where he wants us to be. <laughs> And um, I think right now, over the last couple of years, this is where I'm supposed to be.
0: And within individualized medicine, how do you see the future? Especially, that uh, we try to, you know, with technology, we reach more people, and uh, everything goes so fast. Mm-hmm. Where are we gonna get to the point where is uh, medicine done especially for an individual? Or or a treatment. Or.
1: Yeah, that would really be an ideal situation, wouldn't it? Okay, um, uh, we're on a path to try to get there. We have a lot to learn. A lot. Of, a lot of times, we want to think of um, things that we can measure with the the genetics. You know, people talk about here's my my mm-hmm. gene chip. And suddenly you're going to get you're going to scan it, and you're going to get the uh, medicine that's just right for you. Well, some of that is actually happening at the clinic right now. There are certain uh, drugs that um, are metabolized by certain enzymes, and the genetics can dictate whether that enzyme is highly present or not. And that's actually in some individuals' medical records if they've had their genetics analyzed. So it's being used to a certain extent at the clinic right now. Okay. Um, So that's one of the first steps. We need to refine that um, to consider whether or not these uh, genetic variants are important for men versus women and at which stage of their life they may be more or less important.
0: Okay. Do you see uh, more minorities participating in research, and in this case, with women uh, research opportunities?
1: There's, uh, there's always interest and encouragement in trying to get all people to participate in clinical studies, and especially women, and especially women of a variety of University, races yeah. and ethnicities. Um, there are programs within the African-American community that really encourage women uh, to participate, like the one we mentioned from Dr. Brewer, um, and there are other national organizations that are working towards that as well. Um, I, I personally don't know of any targeted activities in the Hispanic community.
0: Do you? Uh, for women, no, I mean, some campaigns that I see, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. but it's mostly prevention. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, like you say, it, it takes time. Like yeah, you me. just mentioned before, there the was until 1991 where they say, okay, now let's make mandatory the woman participate. Yeah, right,
1: right, right. And there are movements within the Native American community, mm-hmm. too. One of our investigators, Dr. Patton, is um, involved uh, extensively with... Um, uh, Uh, Native Native Americans in Alaska in terms of their tobacco and nicotine use during pregnancy and the health outcomes of their babies because many of these things that women use during pregnancy will affect the health of their babies. And that's a gender
0: issue, right? Because it's part of the culture. It's
1: part of the culture, yeah. Mm -hmm. But that's that's an example. Environmental. So that's an example of the cultural influences affecting health. Okay. Okay. By what is accepted in the community, which is actually, you know, use of a particular product can affect the health in both of the mother and the baby. So those are things that need to be considered. Now, one of the important things about getting women to participate in clinical trials or, and research studies is really having them understand what it is. Um, uh, that Some tests are more invasive than others, and some is just very simple. I just finished one where I had to wear a glucose monitor for a week and write down everything I ate.
0: Or survey. Yeah, yeah.
1: right, or a survey, or give a blood sample. Or, um, but there are barriers for women to participate in trials. First of all, if they have responsibilities for jobs, they can't get there necessarily during the hours where the test is run or they have to take time off and a lot of the time off they have, they would rather reserve that for if their children were sick or for vacation. For yeah, yeah. You know, do you really want to spend the night in the CRU or do you want to spend it on the lake? Do it on the lake do <laughs> yeah, <another day>. yeah. <laughs> So those are, those are issues. And if you're caring for young children or aging parents, those are barriers as well. And we've actually had, um, in the hormone trial we ran, that was right after there was a lot of press about hormones causing breast cancer. And we had women who declined our t- our from our study or, or, or stopped being in the study because their husbands were um, concerned that they were putting themselves at risk. So there's another cultural issue that comes in and really understanding what the study is about. Um, clinical studies are voluntary. Um, they're monitored very closely for safety.
0: They can stop at any time? And you can
1: stop at any time. That's the main thing that people need to understand is that you have to listen to what the risks are for the study and how much you're willing to take those. But if you're in there and and you signed up for the study and you get into it and say, I just can't do this anymore, you can stop. There's no problem with that. And it won't affect your subsequent care at different facilities where the tests or the studies are being done. But you know, how are we gonna find out what happens to women if they're not volunteering in clinical trials? We can say there's health disparities in terms of how we um, deliver care to women or how they respond, but if they're not willing to volunteer in a test, it's sort of a two-way street a little bit. But I think the burden on the researcher and the clinician is really educating the community in terms of what these studies mean, how important they are, and um, designing the study to break down those barriers that would prevent women from coming in. Having the study, maybe having the collection site out in the community, rather having the people come to the hospital, you know, mm-hmm. where possible. Not all yeah. tests or, you know, if you have a big fancy machine, you can't take Correct. that to the community. But you can certainly go out there to do the consent forms and do some basic measurements and things like that.
0: For somebody so. who's listening, it's not familiar where uh, some of the vocabulary we use in. Can you uh, describe to us the difference between a trial and a research?
1: Um, a, r- a research study and a clinical trial. Okay, mm-hmm. a clinical trial is is usually one where it is one where there is a drug that's being tested or a procedure that's being tested against a control or a placebo. Okay, so it would be a new medication, a new treatment okay. methods, or something like that. A research study would be one where. The, um, uh, the procedures that are being used are not new. Our standard
0: is that a, is, back it up? And
1: it's more to understand the basic physiology of what would be going on. So, example, for the um, study that we did, we were looking, when we looked at um, the risk, to study the risk of having a preeclamptic pregnancy on your future disease, we evaluated women who had a normal pregnancy compared to women who had a a preeclamptic pregnancy. What does that mean? Uh, Normotensive means you just had a normal pregnancy, your blood pressure didn't go up. Oh, okay. A preeclamptic one would be a condition where you had really high blood pressure during the pregnancy and uh, and it started in the middle of the pregnancy and terminated when it was over. So we found age-matched women for those two conditions and we brought them in And we did assessments of how much calcium was in their coronary arteries. We looked at their brains. We did some cognitive testing. So that was a clinical study. Okay. Involved humans, but it was to all procedures were those which are standardized, and um, uh, wasn't an intervention for them. It was just studying how they were.
0: Okay. Does that answer it? That yes. Okay. I learned a lot, and and and. I'm just so happy that you made it to you that you came and agreed to participate in this podcast because I really believe that this is really important to people to participate in research for Mm -hmm. future generations and and there is benefits.
1: Absolutely. It benefits. I mean, all of us, I think, have some need to... um, altruism in terms of trying to improve our environment or the life of others that would follow, and participating in some of these these clinical or or, or research studies, um, it provides an opportunity to do that. Have you ever been in a clinical study or a trial? Yes, yes.
0: Okay. I've done like a bone density. Okay. Uh Bone density one, uh, some on diabetes two.
1: And how was that experience for you?
0: I, I learned more about myself, I think, oh yeah, yeah, because you know, they ask you those questions in service, and get you thinking like, oh, I should be moving more if it's I mean, they don't never tell you, I never was really. Um, you want to say uh, patronize, where they tell you, mm-hmm. oh, you should do this and that. Mm-hmm. But uh, you kind of learn about yourself when you fill in the forms or the survey, right, and, and right. it's an eye opening. Yeah. And when they ask about family history, which is really important, and mm-hmm. sometimes we we don't talk about that, and in that's where you learn, what is in your genes, what's what's in your family history, yeah, so yeah. it's really important.
1: I think it's the most telling thing, I think. Um, I've been in a couple studies to manage my weight and at risk of diabetes and things like that. So when you give a diary and you actually have to write down everything you eat during the day, you think, mm, I'm not eating much, doesn't have many calories, and then you actually start writing it down and you think, Wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know and you can identify well, maybe I don't really need that handful of peanuts before I go yeah. to bed, <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, and I, and I you know you start feeling better when you increase at least in one of those studies where I was more, uh checking my steps and all that, and oh, yeah, yeah the more that I walk, the better I sleep, the better I feel, and the sleeping for me at least uh that's where I can tell yeah. the difference right mm-hmm. away when when I wasn't doing enough mm-hmm. physical activity.
1: Uh-huh. Well, when you were saying about the family history of things that weren't asked, uh, it triggered, in, to me, one of the studies that was done through our women's health clinic where they actually looked at um, history of abuse in women that came into the clinic and how that uh, associated with uh, their menopausal symptoms and their general health. And this is one of the areas that's gaining a lot of attention of um, uh, people who experienced childhood abuse, um, and that was another study that we that came out of the Rochester Epidemiology Project, which women who experienced um, abuse as uh, teenagers were more likely to have their ovaries out as adults, and um, it's an interesting association, and uh, which requires additional psycho. Uh, uh, psychological assessment as to what those connection, those condition, that connection might be, um, but uh, our emotional environment, how we experience abuse, how we experience stress, stress in women has uh, a greater effect on overall health than in men, into in chronic stress. So we deal with stress different. Yeah, mm-hmm. we deal with stress, and actually, one of the hormones is produced during stress has different um, effects in men and women. And um, prob- yeah, I'm ju- I'll just stop yeah. there. I won't get in more into the, the, the biology of it, but it, it has different effects. So we have lots to learn, and yes. it's really an exciting time. Um, I'm very encouraged by the interest in looking at sex and gender differences uh, scientifically and medically uh, you know, it, it's peaking here. It's peaking across the country, and one of the key things is actually developing educational programs for people in the medical fields that include this information.
0: Well, so, where are other uh, treatments, or for somebody who's listening, uh, just from your work, they you view can at sample how a treatment affect, affects men different than women, like the one you, example that you give us about the aspirin.
1: Um, some of the side effects from a drug that's used to treat hypertension has different side effects in women. Like They're,
0: niacin, because they gave me at one point I was having, uh, how you call it? Um, uh, having trouble with my high blo- blood pressure, yeah, mm-hmm. and they prescribed me niacin. Uh I Okay. And uh it was giving me half flashes. <laughs>
1: really? And, yeah, how cool like, was that? No. <laughs> Not but, very uh, cool. No. It was very hot. No, I know. And, and my uh,
0: wife was I wasn't making fun of me, but and she's like, Whoa, that's
1: Welcome to the Club. Yeah, yeah. I was like,
0: Oh, okay. So I so I lose weight and that was I g I was okay getting rid of that uh. medicine. So so I don't know if that was Something that is typical when men takes that. Drug. I don't. Uh,
1: that's an interesting, um, uh, interesting observation. I've not uh, or a phenomenon. I've not heard that one before, but I know that there's this drug called an ACE inhibitor. that's used to control blood pressure, and women will have more side effects of that. Sometimes a cough that's associated with that drug that men don't get, and statins, which are used to treat um, uh, high lipids in the blood. Um, comes with a sometimes individuals get a muscle um, uh, problem using it and um, that may be related to the genotype and um, I must say I don't I think they are those particular side effects are more prevalent in women but I'm not real sure but when you look back at the drugs that were reduced removed from the market Between 1998 and 2002, um, they were all side effects in women, all affecting how the heart beats. Now, the good thing about that assessment of those drugs is that now the FDA requires new drugs to be tested uh, for that particular effect on the heart. So when we actually understand these side effects and whether they are more in one sex and the other gets you to understand what causes them and then helps improve the drugs that are being developed going forward so that they have less side effects
0: wow dr. again do you want to share the date or event who's who's uh, the audience do you want to come to your event Is oh well,
1: it's open to the public it's open to anybody that would like to come they can come uh-huh to, right okay. it's October 18th um, it starts at noon and at Mayo Clinic here in Rochester, Rochester,
0: Minnesota. Yep.
1: Right, um, in the Gonda Building in Geffen Auditorium, and um, we have posters in the afternoon.
0: And it's um, a celebration.
1: It's a celebration, but it's it has science talks. Correct. Okay, Correct. so if you yeah. if people think they're coming to a party, no, you please. have to keep in mind that
0: what clinicians and scientists
1: there. think of a party is very different <laughs> than what the, the, the local happy school, hour. The, yeah, the happy hour. Yeah, happy hour. Okay.
0: Well, thank you for all the work that you do. No, oh, It's been a pleasure for, to be
1: here today. I hope we were able yes. to provide your audience with some and useful information. And I'm going to invite you again. Okay. And feel
0: free always to come again and and, and share all the knowledge. Okay. Thanks very much for having me. Center. Yeah. And I want to invite everybody also to follow us on Twitter, on their community board. Find us also on Facebook, on pages on their community board. Go on iTunes and download this podcast. You can find us on iTunes on their Community Board podcast, and also on SoundCloud. And uh, if you have information that you want to share with the community, please contact us, and we'll be happy to share and open a mic for you, uh, you and lockdown. your agency. All right. Well, thank you. And go outside and enjoy the day. Bye bye. First of all, for the people who contact us on Twitter. Think about a certain research. Can you tell me more? Well, depends who you talk to, if you talk to the people from the board. Why what about this thing? Did the yogurt go to the art okay. museum? <laughs> did you see in the news? To get
1: more culture.